Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We are back with the Women's Football Podcast and uh, some good news, bad news, depending on how you look at it. Um, of course, Angelina here hosting as usual. This will be my final podcast hosting. Guys, dry your eyes. It's going to be okay. I will be leaving the podcast in very, very capable one football hands, but I will be leaving the company, heading back to the UK, pastures new, new experiences, but I'm hoping that they will allow me to still maybe come on as a guest every now and then, fingers crossed. But of course, this is my final podcast and I have got two brilliant guests um, we were just joking about how it's Nancy Drew, but it is two separate people. We have got Give Me Sport Women's Nancy. How are things? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm honoured to be on your last show. I know. Well, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, I think you should be. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> and we have got her football hubs, Drew, joining. How's things, Drew? Yeah, I was having a great day until uh, until you said that. But yeah, thanks for having me on the last show. Pleasure. No worries, guys. Well, let's just get stuck into it because there was a little thing called the Ballon d'Or going on. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot of controversy about the men's award and, you know, was a certain Polish man robbed and whatever. I've not got time for that debate. Um, it's all about the women's uh, Ballon d'Or. Now, there was a lot of controversy which I was really irritated by at the end of the day um, about the timing of the event because it is, you know, the in women's football, the international games, a lot of female footballers couldn't attend. Drew, what were your thoughts on this situation? Because it is frustrating, isn't it? It's, you know, like it's like the Oscars for the football and, you know, you've got a load of players missing. Yeah, exactly. You're spot on. It's a, it's a genuine shame and it, I feel like it highlights the initial short-sightedness of the organisers. Mm. Um, you know, Barcelona were great with their girls and threw them all on, like, a club-funded jet, gotten there. But, like, others didn't have that luxury. And I think, like, France football should be sending Barcelona a little thank you because can you imagine, like, not having the winner there? That would have just been really embarrassing. That would have been very embarrassing. Um, and, I mean, I mean, because they say that um, you... the I don't, I don't know if they're told who is winning, but there's, like, rumours that whoever is going to win is given an indication um, like you need to be there by the way I'm not sure how true that is or anything but I think yeah massive you know well done to Barcelona for well it shouldn't even have to be a well done really because it should be organised a little bit better and I guess hopefully I mean we always hope don't we in women's football hopefully next year it's taken a little bit more seriously but the winner was Alexia Puteas Nancy a, a worthy r- winner right and be careful with your answer because I know Alejandro will be listening and I think if she hadn't have won he would have probably flown to Paris and staged a protest so what do you reckon worthy winner yeah definitely definitely a worthy winner I think uh Sometimes these awards, they, I think especially with the women's awards, they've sometimes been seen as a bit of a kind of more like who's the most famous women's footballer as opposed to who's like the best women's footballer. Yes. But I think this year it genuinely did go to the right person. I think Pateas has just been so good all year. I think it always had to go to a Barcelona player seeing as they kind of won everything and were the, by far the best team in the world last, this year. And then she was the standout player for them. So and often captain as well. So, yeah, I was really, really happy to see her get it. And I think for people kind of like who aren't really into women's football, she's still relatively unknown. So it's quite 
I think it's, you know, she's now kind of getting that recognition and will probably soon become world famous. So, yeah, I was really happy with that she won. Yeah, I saw something about, um, what was it, her Instagram followers or something that, like, before the awards, it was, like, I don't know, like 400k or something. And by the end, it was like 900. I was like, mm, very interesting. But you know what? Good good for her. Um, you know, it's putting certain names on the map and things like that. And that's what we want. I mean, you know, looking at the final list, we did have, you know, Jenny Odomoso coming in second, Sam Kerr coming in third. Drew, were you happy with the final list and what it looked like? Yeah, I mean... It's a lot better than it has been in the past, um, as Nancy said, and she was spot on. It, it, it has sometimes just been given out for reputation, um, and there's, there's no such thing as a perfect list with these type of things. It's all you know subjective, but yeah, I, I think it's a lot better, and if it carries on this trajectory of, of being given to the people that actually deserve the awards, then the community of women's football will be a lot happier. I completely agree. Um, I know that, you know, in, in other years there has been, you know, a little bit of controversy about certain things and it's definitely understandable. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was just really happy to see the, the right person um, winning and she won, she won, she won even by quite a bit. Um, I think like there was around like a hundred points or something between her and um, Moso. So yeah, a massive, massive congratulations to her. And I also have mad respect for the fact that the next day she was playing for Spain um, she, you know, brought the trophy with her, paraded it round, and then was part of this Spain team that, um, you know, had this 8-0 win over Scotland. Um, you know, there have been some big international games taking place. You know, they beat um, the Faroe Islands 12-0. Um, and this win over Scotland, you know, Spain have extended this winning run to 16 games, 96 goals scored without conceding. Nancy, how brilliant is this Spain side? Yeah, just so, so good. I, I, I mentioned, I'd said before about the fact that, you know, Barcelona have been the best team and so much of that Barcelona team is Spanish and it's kind of like they've continued that success just at club level. Um, I think, you know, they've kind of been maybe not living up to expectations in previous years, but it seems like everything now is, is just going right for them. And, you know, everywhere you look for that national team, like keeper, defence, midfield, attack there's not a weak link they're, they're just they're scary scary good um and yeah I mean it's it's uh you can see the results that they're getting that they're yeah 96 goals scored without conceding I mean that's just ridiculous it is it's just on another level isn't it um and I, I know we've talked about this Spain side before Drew but you know there are so many goal scorers in this side do you see Portes as being the key player or do you have another name that for you kind of stands out as being the the more vital cog out of all of those vital cogs. No, I think yeah, I think you're spot on with Pateas, but you know what? It's it's something historically that we've seen with Spanish sides uh, traditionally through through men's football and it's crossing over to the women's now through that kind of culture of the the nation. It's the high quality across the whole squad and and this team is no exception to that. Um but there's players like, you know, Aitana Bonmati, she's such a boost as well. She's I think she's still only like 23. She's got over 100 appearances for Barca, chipping in with goals regularly in the international setup, and it just adds to that. You you know, a national team is never going to win major tournaments with just like one or two big stars. It really does take that quality across the board. And Spain have absolutely got that from goalkeeper all the way forward, just like Nancy said. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, A stars, tens across the board really, yeah. isn't it? Um and I know, you know, Nancy, we've we've definitely talked about it before, but um, you know, seeing this uh this Spain side that just does seem to be getting better and better. Do you look at them as favourites for the Euros or maybe wait and see for now? For me they're they're definitely the favourites. Um I yeah, I would put them as my number one. Um, but I think the Euros are such it is such it's such a tricky tournament and you've got, in my opinion, like six or seven teams there that could potentially win it. So obviously like Sweden, the Netherlands, France, Germany, hopefully England will be in the mix yes. as well. So for me they're favourites, but that doesn't mean that on the way to the final and potential victory they're not gonna have really, really, really tough games. And I mean, we see, you see it in international football tournaments all the time, kind of surprises or it's just a one-off football match. So say they have a bad day and they're playing England in the quarterfinals <laughs> with a, against the home crowd, I'd, I'd, you know, they might be, they might be um, upset. So yeah, they're my favourites, but seeing as it's such a tough tournament, I think it could also be one of the other, other big teams in women's football. Yeah, it's one of those, I guess, with tournaments. And that's the best thing about tournaments, you know, especially, um, you know, being an, an England fan over the years, sometimes you're not always, your expectations aren't always that high. So sometimes it can be quite entertaining um, seeing some teams slip, not to be shady or anything, but that is kind of the interesting thing about these tournaments is you think that things are going to go a certain way. And things can change in a second. There's so many different, you know, variables that can happen. So but I agree. I think that um, Spain are definitely up there because, like you say, it's just an extension of Barcelona, really. And you look at how they're doing and how we anticipate them to do this season for that to then carry on into the into the Euros. It would be very interesting. Of course, that win against Scotland meant that their unbeaten start to the Women's World Cup qualifying campaign came to a painful end. Drew... They still had a good run that they can be proud of, though, do you think? Absolutely. I was talking about Scotland the other day, and do you know what? They have grown and grown over the last five years. They've really become like an established top team internationally now. Like I know this result doesn't back that up, but no other nation goes into a game against them expecting an easy ride, and they don't get an easy ride. It's actually... I looked it up to see in like historically where this result ranks for Scotland. It's actually equally in their biggest ever defeat, which was back in the 70s against England, which was an 8-0. So it's definitely an exception. You know, Scotland don't get turned over often. And, like, they won't be the last team to get turned over by Spain. Exactly. Sometimes there is no... um, There's no shame in in losing to a team that is on on that level. Obviously, you're going to feel a little bit rubbish about it. But, you know, when you're up against that, you know, sometimes you've maybe got to be a bit realistic I don't know but I mean Nancy how important was Lee Alexander in that Spain game for Scotland because it could have been a lot worse couldn't it yeah and I think it's always feels a bit strange I think to like big up a a keeper when they have conceded quite a lot of goals it's quite similar to Kirsty level in uh, the Leicester goalkeeper who's injured now unfortunately but you know she has actually been like a really really good keeper same as Lee Alexander um, and it's kind of more just a case of the calibre of the opposition that they're playing, um, that all those goals have been conceded. But yeah, like you said, she it could have been a lot worse. And yeah, she had a really good game. And, and weirdly, I think she'd be quite proud of 
herself despite the fact that she did concede a lot of goals um and i mean it's a great test for her i think to come up against the best attack one of the best attacks in the world um and come off with a number a number of really good saves i think will be weirdly a really big confidence boost for her yeah i i think so definitely i would agree with that and you know looking at scotland they're still in second place drew they should still, you know, be feeling confident about qualifying because I'm not sitting here worried about them, are you? No, absolutely. They're the only other team in that group to still have a positive goal difference despite the 8-0, so that shows how well they've been performing. I don't think they should be worried at all. Um, and, yeah, just to, just a to nod on to that Lee Alexander point as well, she's definitely got some clips that she can add to a highlight reel from that game. Yes, definitely. You know what? Worst case, there's always a few clips that you can add in. You know, always look on the bright side. Um, now, we've got to talk about England. We've got to talk about Ellen White. She has surpassed Kelly Smith's record of 46. Her hat-trick means she now has 48 goals in 101 appearances for England. Nancy, tell us about how important this moment is, not only for her, but for England as well. Yeah, I mean, it's massive. And I think you could tell by her celebration yeah. uh, after she got that record goal. Because in the, in the context of the match, it wasn't, obviously wasn't, you know, they were absolutely thrashing Latvia. Um, and, you know, the celebration in that context, context looked a bit mad. But then when you actually think about it, becoming your country's all-time... Uh, top goal scorer for well for the for the women's team um is just massive and i think as well kelly smith just beating kelly smith's record like kelly smith is such a legend i think kind of like one of the pioneers of english women's football um like my memories of women's football when i was a kid was like kelly smith scoring goals for england and like kissing the football boot and all of that and I think to beat such an iconic player to surpass that record it just it, I mean it puts your name in history and it's it's a massive achievement um it's obviously great for England as well because to have the record goal scorer currently playing is is brilliant because it means you've got someone there that that will just bang in the goals constantly um and yeah it, it bodes well for the Euros next year yeah 100% such and I agree like the way that she was celebrating I mean on the grand scheme of things, it was just, you know, okay, we've, we've got some more goals there, great. But <laughs> for her, yeah, it was it was absolutely brilliant. Drew, do you feel like, um, obviously, you know, we'll get on to the, the scores and the goals, but, you know, to, um, to see England, you know, playing so well and to see, you know, White get that achievement, is this a nice way to round off what was originally a bit of a rocky year for England? Yeah, absolutely. They've got stability in in their leadership now. Um, obviously, that's a bit of a Hollywood result, but it does mark you know a successful campaign. They've played six, won six, no goals conceded. You you can only play what's put in front of you, and obviously, there's conversations at the minute about how do we restructure this because it's not healthy. But they can only play what's put in front of them, and they've done absolutely everything against absolutely every team um, recently when it's competitive. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely, definitely a nice way to round it off. So, of course, England beat Latvia 20-0. Um, Nancy, where do you stand on whether this is a good advertisement for women's football or a, not a bad advertisement, but because, 
you know, I, I still saw people, you know, the, the the sexist people, if we're being honest, you know, the the uh, the old middle aged family members on Facebook, you know, s- still finding, you know, t- you know, picking holes at stuff. But I know that Emma Hayes, you know, um, uh, when a few weeks ago, a few months ago, was was saying that it's a great result, these big results with a lot of goals, but at the same time, is it the best advertisement? Where do you kind of stand on that um, debate? Yeah, I mean, I think like has been it's been touched on a bit already but i suppose that, like the structure of kind of world cup qualifying or euros qualifying or whatever that's that's kind of more a, a football issue i suppose because in the men's game you've got like england playing san marino and beating them 10 nil um so it's kind of more i think in terms of the big score lines and maybe you know you should you should have a tiered structure and something like that i think that's um something that football as a whole probably needs to, to deal with I think as well, like maybe the debate about it could be kind of angled slightly to maybe highlight more the inequalities of women's football. Like, you know, it's like, okay, so why are Latvia being beaten 20 nil? Like, it's obviously because their national federation isn't funding women's football there properly. And like, I've seen that it wasn't their strongest team because a lot of the players are part-time and, and couldn't come over to England for a midweek game in the evening. So you had, you know, like a really weak team being fielded. So it's, it's that kind of thing it's more like okay so like England are smashing Latvia 20 nil. so what can we do to make sure that countries are like adequately funding their women's teams so those score lines aren't a thing anymore so I'd, I'd quite like to see maybe more emphasis put on that um, because I do agree it, it can be quite a bad image for women's football but I think it needs to be kind of looked at like you know why and what can we do to rectify that because it's not that Latvia are like awful at football and shouldn't be playing at this level it's more just that they're obviously not getting the resources and you know not getting the not being full-time players and not getting the attention they deserve so yeah I think it's kind of needs to be a bit more of a focus on that yeah I, I would agree with you and I think it's you know it's still it's it's not great seeing it you know Latvia lose 20 nil, but I think it's still nice to you know, celebrate the fact that England have, you know, had this, you know, this amazing win and, um, you know, the the positives that that will provide, you know, some of those England players that scored those goals and the the confidence it could have given them. And, you know, there's different things. So I've, I think it's still important to celebrate it, but, well, it's obviously, you're not going to like laugh in Latvia's face, are you? But it's still important to celebrate it. And, um, but yeah, and there, there are issues as well that maybe is for a separate debate, who knows? But um, Drew, did you have... A favourite goal out of the twenty, um, and who was your player of the match? So, yeah, favourite goal. It's got to be the Alan White one, just for what it means um, mm. to her and, and the country. Um, but I'm going to give you, you know, I can never give straight answers to these very straight questions. <laughs> so I'm gonna my player of the match will be Laura Sinakina. So that's the Latvian goalkeeper. Yeah, purely for her mental strength. As Nancy said, it was not the first team. She was. She's just turned eighteen. She was stepping in for an international debut against England, one of the giants of international football. To not have, to not have had a mental breakdown at like fifteen nil when there's plenty of time. Oh, if I was eighteen, I would have run off the pitch crying. Hundred yeah, percent. I, I would have walked off. I would have said like, I can't do this, and I, w- I would have just demanded to be so. I would have faked a cramp. Yeah. Like my mental strength wouldn't have been there. So, and for context, like her international pedigree to date is a handful of caps at under 15s and two caps at under 17s like that that's her international cap experience so far so 
to get through that and hold her head up high and say, okay, I, I did it. Like, yeah, okay, she conceded 20 goals and hopefully that's not what she will take out of the experience long term. But yeah, definitely my player of the match purely for mental strength. If she when When women go on Football Manager, her mental strength will have a 20 next to it. Yeah, I like that one. I I like picking her as the as the player of the match. And I I agree with you because like I say I would have completely started crying, asked for my mum and uh said that I was going home. I would have texted someone at half time and been like, "Come and pick me up." I would have got an Uber and I'd have been out of there. <laughs> and also, you know, the fact that she is so young is that, you know, I really hope that um, you know, she's going to have so many more opportunities so that it's it's not that that she's I mean she can be remembered for it in a positive way like you said but you know she's still got so much of her career left that there are other things that she can do and maybe achieve and and things that she's not just going to be remembered as that goalkeeper that lets 20 goals in um but yeah I, I like that one that was a good one to go for um of course Nancy no disrespect to Latvia but you know that they're not the you know they're not in the big leagues do you worry are there any concerns that you have about how England could perform, you know, when faced with bigger competition or are you feeling comfortable at the moment? I think I think it's really hard to say just because they haven't really played any big kind of, you know, big teams. I think the game against Austria, the 1-0 win, for me, I think maybe it should be we should be winning that, you know, by a higher margin potentially. Um Austria, no disrespect to them, like really, really, really good team. Obviously, they're going to be in the Euros. But yeah, it kind of, you know, if you want to be winning the Euros, maybe should you be beating Austria more than 1-0? I don't know. I think, yeah, the real test is going to be that the tournament in February, the one with uh, Canada, Spain and Germany. Um, and I'm kind of, kind of going to hold out judgment until that tournament, I think. Because at that point, uh, Serena Wiegmann would have been in. She would have, you know, she's had quite a few camps now under her belt. She's been in, would have been in the system for about six months, and that, that they're three amazing teams. So I'm going to hold out judgment until that. But you know, obviously the Austria game, it, it was just one match, and it was still a good result, and I think still a good performance overall. But that was a, I was a bit like, mm, like, should we be maybe winning that that match a little bit by? by a bigger margin so yeah I suppose we'll see yeah I mean we weren't expecting 20 nil again but you know yeah. I, I, I get I get what you mean you know something a little bit more um a, a bit more of a statement maybe um but you know England are of course top of their uh, group if you've won 20 nil I'd be a little bit concerned if they weren't um now Drew what are your thoughts um on the on the manager so far and what she's done because you know like you like we've just talked about a minute ago you know this has been this has ended, it's been a really nice ending to the year. And, and what do you make of her impact? Yeah, I think it's been a great start. The, the players seem to be enjoying the style of play. Um, would like to see perhaps a bit more variety with the call-ups. Yes. Um, and I, so one, one of the things I hate about international football is, is so the situation that's kind of happening with Hannah Hampton at the minute. So she's being called away. Villa are in a, you know, a really kind of transitional period in in their in their game they they would have loved to have you know the bottom of their spine training with them for this international break if she wasn't going to be used obviously it's invaluable going away with a with an international camp but why take a player if there's absolutely no intention to use them mm. especially when there's potential to win games 20 nil there like 
So I would like to see caps being distributed to players that are called up um, rather than just having, you know, oh, you've been called up, great, congratulations. Now enjoy the game from the from bench. Sidelines. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much that does for players' development, but like I said, I've never been on an international camp, so mm-hmm. I'm sure it has its merits. But that's the one thing I'd, I'd maybe like to to see. I just kind of develop a little bit within the setup. Yeah, I, I get what you mean because for me mentally, if I was. Um, called up and they were like right Angelina you've been called up to the England team is this lovely spot on the bench that we've got for you we've actually got no intention of playing you I'd be like right well I may as well just be at home then it's um, like a fifth camp now as well so it's like at what point do you say you know, oh no you're ready like yeah mixed messages isn't it you're repeatedly getting called up but, but just not, not being used not yeah. being given the nod so you, are you impressed are you not impressed like, yeah it's like do you like me or not what's going on <laughs> yeah it's uh it's, it's a good point really and um I can imagine that's frustrating, but then I guess, you know, people would argue you're still, you know, part of the camp. Like you say, you know, you're still training with everybody, you know, you're still forming bonds with your teammates, but if you're not actually playing on the pitch with the teammates, what's the point in having the bond? So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely an interesting one. And maybe now that she's, you know, got her feet under the table and we've we've capped off this year on a great high, maybe we'll, we'll see a little bit more of that, hopefully. But... You know, England have taken the headlines, rightfully so. But for the Republic of Ireland, Nancy, they got that 11-0 win over Georgia. It was a great night for them as well, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. They're, I think they're a team that's definitely on the up at the moment. Um, and Some of their players, I mean, like Casey McCabe has been one of the best players in the Super League this season. And yeah, like, you know, to have her starring for her, uh, national team as well I think is great I think they were, she won it was it her third consecutive player of the match award I think for, for <laughs> Ireland uh, which I think just just shows it all but yeah I think they're they're really impressive at the moment I really like their team um, and yeah it's it's. I remember can't remember how long ago now maybe like three or four years ago they had that pay dispute with the federation and it all looked quite rocky I think they were unhappy with the conditions they played in and stuff. And I think that's now all kind of being resolved. And I think you can tell on the pitch that they're, they're just, yeah, a, a really great team to watch. Yeah, definitely. It was, it's, um, it's always nice to see the other, um, you know, the other nations from our our island doing well. Um, def- well, I guess they're technically on another island, but you know what I mean. Um, it's it's always good to see them doing well. Uh, Drew, your favourite question again. Did you have a favourite goal or a player of the match? Hit us with it. Yeah, so as Nancy said, McCabe usually just collects these things. She's probably got like a whole room in her house just for player yeah. of the match trophies. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to distribute the, the accolades. I, I was really impressed by O'Sullivan. I always have been. She's a real Rolls-Royce player. Um, it, it's great to see her taking a match ball home as well. She got the hat-trick. Natural goal scoring for O'Sullivan hasn't been something we've really seen since she was at Glasgow City. I think there she averaged like a goal a goal every other game or something like that. And Her goal scoring tally has really dropped off since then, even though she's still been a really like high-class you know, luxury player. Um, so yeah, it was great to see that kind of performance for her. And, and, her have that little bit of freedom in, in front of goal, um, just sitting behind the front line. It was, uh, yeah, I, I, lo- I love it when she plays like that. I was just thinking then about you saying about the match ball. Um, White took the match ball for England, I am <laughs> as- assuming, didn't she? 
Well, I, I think I, I questioned this on Twitter. They all got one each because I, uh, I was going to say yeah. if I was Lauren Hemp, I'd have been absolutely fuming. <laughs> yeah. First goals in an England shirt, I score four, but I don't get the ball. I don't think so. This has come yeah. up before in the past, and I think what the official kind of procedure is is that you know when just random balls go out of play. Right. Oh, they just get one of those. Yeah, it was in play at some point during. At some point, someone's boot touched it. So there you go. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, because that would have been a bit stressful. I would have been like front of the queue. Oh yeah. We'll we'll have a fight on the pitch for for the ball. I'm not messing about. I want the best one. Yeah. Hundred percent. That just came into my head then when you was talking about it. But yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad that they all got one at least. Um, Now. you know, back to um, the Republic of Ireland. Nancy, um, are you concerned about them qualifying with Finland just one point behind or are you feeling good? I feel quite confident for them. I think, uh, obviously, I think qualifying is always hard. You've got, you know, it's, it's so kind of, literally one point could, could make such a massive difference. Um, but I think, I mean, they've beaten Finland before um, and I think, you know, they're, in quite a strong position to to qualify. I think obviously Sweden are the favourites to qualify from that group. I think probably maybe more than anyone, Slovakia maybe are more of a threat to, than Finland because, like I said, Ireland has beaten Finland already, but they only drew to Slovakia. So um, maybe that could be a potential kind of hazard uh, in the rest of their qualifying campaign. But I think ultimately I'm quite confident they can do well. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to see them. That'd be great to see them at the World Cup. Yeah, it really would. Um, and a big congratulations to them on, on that win. And meanwhile, for Wales, you know, despite defending well, obviously they went down um, to 10 players. I think it was around the 70th minute or something. Um, you know, dis- despite some good defensive displays at times, they did lose ultimately to France 2 0. Drew, did you feel a bit sorry for Wales or was it just a case of France with a better team, case closed? I think a bit of both, you know, like. A- I did feel a bit of sympathy. I saw, because I've watched the highlights of this one, I didn't watch the full game, but I saw the clip of like Wales hitting, I think it was the post, and then France just go the other end and get that second goal. That, yeah. That's classic football heartbreak, but like I think the result's pretty fair. France are one of the, the best nations on the planet for women's football, and, you know, 2-0, you know, as you said, with, with everything they were up against that game, it, it's a result to be proud of. I saw a couple of the players saying, you know, they were heartbroken after the game, but it's not a bad result. No, I, I agree. It's one of those. And again, you know, sometimes a team like, say, France are, you know, one of the one of the best in Europe, one of the best in the world, you could even argue, you know. So, you know, sometimes I guess they, you have to take whatever positives you can from it and, you know, look at Scotland. It could have been worse. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I guess it's one of those. But, Nancy, what did you make of France's goals? I know Drew just touched on it, but that second goal was... Uh, was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe it not for was, Wales, but <laughs> for a viewer. <laughs> yeah, it was just it. Yeah, it was it was football kind of just classic football. I think uh, the 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 Welsh move as well was really really nice, and I thought they were so unlucky to hit the the post. But I think you could tell then when France countered that Wales were probably just knackered. You know, they they had played really well, probably used up a lot of energy, and then yeah for France to go down the other end and score straight away I think that probably made the final result more disappointing because it was so near the end and Fran- and Wales have been so close to equalising um, 
but yeah, I think uh, it's it was a, it was a great goal, very very entertaining to to watch afterwards. But yeah, I, I bet the Welsh players don't want to watch that clip back. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was it was great. Like I say, as a as a neutral watching it, it, it was great to see. Um, now Sweden did manage a two one win over Finland, um, a three 0 win over Slovakia. Um, Drew, I think it was with you that we spoke about this. I'm not too sure, but you know we've spoken about them before and how we are maybe expecting more from this team, considering how well they did in the Olympics. Would you agree, or what are your thoughts on Sweden at the moment? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Um... That's pretty much the sentiment we had last time, but I've kind of changed my mind on it. You know, okay. like I get why people kind of want maybe a more exciting style of play or a bigger scoreline, but historically, teams that are just quietly consistent are the ones to watch out for. Like, mm. I wouldn't be concerned. It's not like you know they've like I'd be more concerned about England beating Austria one nil than yeah. these kind of Sweden results. So I don't think it's anything to panic about. They're they're doing what they need to do. They're doing it efficiently and. Yeah, as long as they keep doing that. I mean, that's how, that's how they got to the, you know, where they did in the Olympics. It's not like they were battering teams and absolutely steamrolled it. They were just consistent all the way to the end. Um, and, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to see them s- still doing that. You know, they do have some, some of the world's best players within their ranks and perhaps they could give them a bit more freedom. But what they're doing is not not working. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, they're, they're still getting the wins and that's the most important thing. And... Finally, talking about uh, the final little bit of international football for Northern Ireland, they got a 9-0 win over North Macedonia. Nancy, it's been a really big year for Northern Ireland as well. What have you made of of them and their performances? I've been impressed. Um, I think those, you know, for England, not so much, but I think those, like, 9-0 wins, I think they also beat North Macedonia 11-0, was it, last week as well? Mm. They had a double header. Um, I think they are actually massively important for countries like Northern Ireland who are kind of growing in confidence in international football and they've got that the the Euros next year um, you know they, they that is a massive boost for them and shows that they, they are capable of, of those kind of results um, I mean the England game I thought they were really impressive it, it was just a case I think of fitness at the end on that Wembley pitch um, kind of just unable to keep up with the England players but I know that they're they're a lot of the players are, are going like full t- more of the players are going full time. So I think that kind of fitness, those fitness issues, might be addressed by the time the Euros come around. So yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a very very positive time for Northern Ireland, um, and I'm expecting them to continue to do well in qualifying. To be honest, um, Austria probably are their main rivals for that second place slot. So I think it's between those two. But yeah, again, same as Republic of Ireland as well. Both both they're both doing really well and, and really good teams to watch. Yeah, it's been it's been great to see, um, like I say, uh, apart from Wales, I guess, you know, the the home nations um getting these getting these good results and let's just hope that it it continues and you know um kind of like what Nancy touched on there, Drew, you know, they are second in the group behind England. How are you feeling about qualification for them? Yeah, I I'm hopeful, you know, that the growth and development and the kind of evolution under Kenny Shields has been has been incredible. Um, and I'd just like to touch on a, t- a tweet I saw and it really kind of made something stand out to me. So it was by um, Craig Hadley, who's, um, I think he's like interim supporters lead at, at Birmingham City. But he touched upon how much Bex Holloway has grown as a player mm. over the last year or two. And 
she got her first international goal and then she got another one the next game and these goals these were rockets from distance like for for a defensive style player to be smashing goals in like that just shows the confidence um and she doesn't kind of have that form at Birmingham so it shows that she's you know these players are going into the international setup confident and and you know firm in their abilities um and yeah it really did show in these two fixtures and as Nancy said I think you know Austria are the, that main competition there and those games are going to be vitally important and it would be great to see them there it really would yeah, it it would, and and fingers crossed that they can uh, they can do it. I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. But yes, the international fixtures will close that uh, little chapter of the podcast um, because this weekend there are some big games. Of course, there is Arsenal against Chelsea, not in the Women's Super League. Angelina, who got that one incorrect in a moment of madness, but in the twenty 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 one FA Cup final. Now, you know, this is Arsenal's game, game competition. You know, they've won this 14 times. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the last time was the 2015-16 season. Nancy, they are going to be desperate for this trophy, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And it's kind of, uh, yeah, like you said, this is their this is their tournament. Um, have been so dominant in it, but similar to the league, have kind of seen that dominant slip behind City. Chelsea um, and this season I think you know Arsenal are back back where they used to be they're back at the top of the WSL they've got an incredible squad they've got a manager that has you know is doing wonders at the moment so I think they will see this this is their opportunity to reclaim the FA Cup and to kind of get back to like former glory um, and I think the fact that it's you know against Chelsea as well the two top teams in the WSL, the two heavyweights. Uh, there was a brilliant game at the, the opening weekend of the season at the Emirates where Arsenal won 3-2. I think they're going to be so up for it. But uh, on the flip side, I think Chelsea are also going to be so up for it. I think they're going to be really, really determined to get their own back. So I'm really, really excited for this. Not just because I'm an Arsenal fan, but I think it's just going to be a brilliant game. It will be. It's going to be entertaining, and as a neutral, it's it's going to be exciting. I mean, through for Chelsea, obviously losing that game to Arsenal um, in the in the league, Chelsea and Emma Hayes they're going to be out for revenge, aren't they? I've kind of got these visions of a like you know plotting and and um, not in like an evil way or anything, but you know just like really you know wanting to kind of get one over um, on Arsenal here. Yeah, absolutely. It, this game is going to be one of two things and only one of two things it's either going to be the most exciting entertaining game any of us have seen for a couple of years or it's going to be a complete standoff yeah it's going to be boring and it'll be a mistake that wins it um so yeah they're you know these managers are great tacticians they've both proven that um and they'll be very aware of each other's talents and strengths and and also weaknesses in the team because both teams you know, are far from perfect at times. Um, so yeah, like I said, they're either going to completely exploit that in each other, or or very much cover their own bases. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which one of those two it is. Yes, it it will be, and I mean, Nancy, um, where do you see this game being won and lost? Because, like we say, you know, two absolutely brilliant sides here that will be facing off. Uh, we, I mean, weirdly for the for the attacking talent that both 
teams have, I think it's actually going to be decided in defence. I think both teams have, I mean, I think Arsenal have had a better defensive, they've been better defensively, but they've uh, had Leah Williamson injured, so she's going to be missing the match, and she's kind of been, I'd say, not even the heart of the defence, I think the heart of the whole team and, and the way that Arsenal play. Um, and then I also saw, I haven't seen a, a team update for Arsenal yet, but I saw Jen Beattie uh, w- had to withdraw from the Scottish national team. I don't know if that was precautionary. I don't know if she is injured, but that's potentially two centre-backs, two of our best centre-backs not playing. Um, and then on, on the Chelsea side, I think they've been a little bit weak defensively this season. I think you could see it in some of their Champions League games. Um, and I know they've got Marin Mielder back now from injury. And they have been playing a back three, but now she's back, they might revert to a back four again. But then I don't know if because they're not used to that system, they haven't been playing in that system regularly, is that going to make them a bit kind of, you know, error prone? I don't know. So, and and like I said, both teams are so brilliantly um, stacked in attack that I think it's essentially who's going to have the better defence and and goalkeepers as well will have a big part to play. Because it's probably going to be a case, in my opinion, of, who concedes the less. I think it's going to be quite high scoring and it's going to come down to which defence is better, essentially. Yeah, I think you, you've got a good point there about the about the defence. And I really hope it is high scoring. I'm going to be really annoyed if it's like a 1-0 or something like that. I'm going to like yeah. want my money back even though I've not paid anything. Um, now, Drew, who, who do you think is going to be the star player for each team uh, going into this fixture? I'll start with Chelsea and... Again, with me, never a straightforward answer. But it's it's really hard to say because they would rotate their players so heavily. And I was always in the impression last season that Chelsea had players set for rotation in to rest other players, and they had obviously stars that they would rotate out. But then when it came to the Champions League final, and Neve Charles and Jess Carter started, who I would have considered rotate in players in order to rest, perhaps bigger players um, it, it kind of threw me and now I don't I don't know who Emma Hayes thinks her best 11 is mm. um, I would I would think I'd be safe in presuming that Kirby will start and she will be their star player for the day um, if they win um, when it comes to Arsenal I, I, so I think there's one player that has no choice but to be the star if they're going to win and that's Lottie Wubber-Moy if Arsenal are going to come away with a result and a trophy, she has to be the star player. She has no choice. She cannot make a mistake that whole game. Because if Chelsea bring on Kerr, Harder, Kirby, and then maybe have Fleming, Cuthbert, those kind of players, and then you've got Ingle who can you know dance around people, there is no room for error. You cannot miss a single ball. And so, yes, yeah, she has got absolutely no choice but to have the game of her life game of a life like no pressure or anything game of your life love but um, yeah yeah definitely it just needs to happen otherwise the trophy isn't happening yeah i mean nancy i'll I'll ask you as well drew because i feel like i know nancy's answer to this um but who do you see winning this game chelsea i I hope i hope arsenal i want arsenal to win (laughs) um i mean yeah i'm gonna obviously back arsenal because they're my team but it, they are, despite the season, I personally think they are the underdogs going into this mm, match. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, I just think Chelsea are at the moment a slightly better team. I think Arsenal, especially with that, that draw against Spurs, 
a few weeks ago. I think uh, Arsenal are a little bit weaker at the moment. So I'm back in Arsenal, but maybe because obviously I can't be biased all the time. I can see Chelsea winning. That's all I No, it's 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 a it's a cup final. You can be a little bit biased. We'll allow it. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll say yeah. Arsenal. Then. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, whoever. We, I, I mean, I'm I'm just excited to to sit and watch it. To be honest, I'm not even bothered what happens. Um, but I think I would probably. I guess, like you say, if Arsenal are being considered the underdogs, maybe I would. I would go more for backing an underdog. Uh, I have a few. I have more friends that are Arsenal fans than Chelsea fans, maybe. But listen, as long as there's a few goals, I know I'll be happy. Um, now, just touching on the women's super league because we have seen another change of manager. Um, Jonathan Morgan left Leicester. Um, I think it was last week after seven years. Guided them to promotion the women's super league for the first time last season. This season, struggling very much. Drew, what did you make of his departure? Was it the right time? Should it have happened sooner? Should they have tried to keep him? What What are your thoughts on it? Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like For everything he's done for the club, maybe he did deserve a bit more time. Maybe he deserved another window. Um, but, you know, the guy the guy was heavily backed. He's, he's, he's got a nice, healthy budget there. You know, they brought in some some really high-tier WSL players. Yeah. Um, he's got players like Natasha Flint, who is one of the best young players in the WSL. I don't think he was using her correctly. Um, he's got Lavelle in goal, who is probably one of the best keepers in the league right now. I know she's injured, but, that, you know, there was a lot going f- for him, and I, that, the results just weren't coming, were they? And mm. um, I, I get why people are sad he's left. But if I was in charge of the club and I, I put all that money in and I probably would have made that decision around about the same time, um, perhaps a little bit earlier. Maybe yeah. I would have panicked. I, th- I think I would have panicked. I would have 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, what if if it's anything the Leicester board and you know their owners have proven is that they know what they're doing with the women's team. Um, he was given a very nice send-off Um it wasn't rushed. It wasn't after a big defeat. You know, it was in, in an international break. They'd obviously had a really good think about it. And yeah, I, th- I think they can stand by what they've done and no one can have a real gripe with it. it it's sad to see. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I agree with that definitely. And of course, taking over will be England youth coach Lydia Bedford, who has been um, with the FA in various roles since I think about 2014. Nancy, do you think she's the right person to be taking over? Yeah, I can't say I know too much about her. I think, like you said, she's been with the England youth setup um, and the Canadian one as well. So it's interesting that she's obviously had that kind of experience around international teams. Um, it doesn't seem like she has much experience kind of at domestic clubs. Um, so I don't know if that will, you know, be a weakness or whether that, that will have any kind of impact. Um, but I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think I was quite surprised with in that they maybe could have gone for someone like Willie Kirk, who maybe has a bit more kind of experience in the WSL, um, especially if they wanted to make a bit of a statement. But I mean, I think the club probably know, you know, they've, they've, it sounded like they'd kind of been planning this for a bit. So I reckon, you know, I'm, I'm happy to give them the benefit of the doubt and see how Lydia Bedford does um, and see 
you know she she could be a perfect fit so yeah i'm happy to wait and see but she she does need to like turn things around asap otherwise Leicester are going back down to the championship yes she um is going to be a very busy um over the the next uh, few fixtures because it really is going to have to be you know the pressure is going to be on to i guess make a little bit of an impact um well a lot of an impact really um now over in Spain, um, there's been a few things going on, but um, we've got a big game coming up: Levante against Atletico Madrid. Uh, Drew, what have you made of the Spanish league so far? I guess it's kind of been business as usual for Barcelona, and it's been a bit of a mixed bag everywhere else. Yeah, it's it's been a strange one, hasn't it? Like if you, we speak about the Spanish league all the time. If you'd said to me at the start of the season, at this point, Real Madrid would be 19 points behind top spot. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said that. So, yeah. Um, apart from that, though, as you say, it's kind of business as usual. Like Barcelona just tearing everyone apart, and then um, you know the usual kind of pack chasing, chasing behind them, trying to trying to get as close to that level as possible. I don't think any any team on the planet is quite close to that level at the minute. But um, mm. yeah, the Spanish league is so exciting. Yeah, I mean, there's already Barcelona's already uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> distancing themselves yeah I think they're on about 33 points um so Ciudad are on 24 so yeah it's kind of kind of says it all really doesn't it but of course you know Levante and Atletico Madrid um two massive names in women's football and it is still you know a massive fixture I know that um you know Levante are, are down in fifth um you know Madrid have managed to pull it back and are in third after you know a bit of a rocky season last season um Nancy who were your two you know like standout players in this game one from from each team um i think well my i'm just gonna give a disclaimer that my spanish pronunciation is not good don't worry um, i think for me um i think redondo ferrar for levante mm-hmm. um, and then castellanos for atletico madrid uh just purely because they're both teams top scorers and i think it will come down essentially to who uh, i mean obviously you know you, you always want your top goal scorers and optimal form and yeah essentially depending who is the best I think could decide this match um so they've both had really good seasons so far and yeah that could continue yes I mean Drew who and and Nancy if you have a prediction um who do you guys see winning this game I think my money's gonna be on Atletico but Levante could surprise um I I, yeah I'm also gonna back Atletico there as well I think for me they have a better team yeah, I think Levante. Uh, they've got the better defensive record so far. Mm. Um, do you know what? No, I'm changing my mind. I think, uh, <laughs> Come on, join <laughs> the club. Come on. Will, yeah, will, I think Atletico have too much. Uh, I think they'll. I think them and and Sociedad will will start pulling away um, and and make that kind of second pack. So yeah, yeah. let's go. Change my mind last minute. <laughs> um, and of course, chasing everyone is Real Madrid. It's been a busy week. They've got another busy week on the horizon. Um, Villarreal this weekend, Champions League fixture on Wednesday, and the wonderful Barcelona the following Sunday, which I'm sure they're so excited for as they sit in 10th place. Um, now, earlier this week, the club announced that they have terminated their contract with manager David Aznar. Um, he, you know, had been at the helm for the team for two and a half seasons, you know, back when it was known as Tacon. Um, he remained in charge after Real Madrid took over in 2020. Nancy, do you think that, um, you know, when they made that change, 
to being Real Madrid, they should have maybe changed the manager then? Or do you think that they did, the, you know, despite things not being great at the moment, they still did the right thing in keeping him there when they made that change? Because obviously last season, you know, he did get them, um, you know, a Champions League spot. Yeah, I think it's, it is important to have kind of consistency. I think just because you're kind of bringing in a new like brand as it is, I don't think that necessarily means that you have to get rid of uh, the manager. Um, I suppose on the flip side, you'd say, you know, it's now becoming Real Madrid. That is in football, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Like, should you hire a manager that essentially lives up to that expectation? I suppose, you know, someone that's, that, that's uh, quite a big name in women's football. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think they did too badly. I think given previous results, I think it made sense at the time to keep the manager, um, kind of keep it consistent and, and not like cause a lot of turbulence by bringing in a new manager. Um, and I suppose now his time is up and, and yeah, that's obviously they'll be looking now for someone new. Uh, now the the sacking, you know, looking at Real Madrid. I mean, they've not been doing too bad in the Champions League, um, but you know, five defeats already um, in in La Liga um, compared to you know, well, the Primera Division, not La Liga. Sorry, um, you know, compared to you know, Sociedad have only lost two, Atletico have only lost two, Levante have only lost two. You know, they've already lost five. It made sense that. It was his time to go, didn't it? Didn't it? Because I know we spoke with Alejandro on the podcast last week, and he was saying he he felt like it was coming this season. He just didn't know when. Yeah, like I think Asna, I, like I've just said it the same about Leicester. Like I might have panicked and done it sooner. I definitely would have done this one a little bit sooner. Mm. Um, a lot of those bigger name players that they had since they've had since the tack on days. Um, he has had time to work with these players. He's had the investment. Um, yeah, it, he's he's fallen short this season. Uh, yeah. as Alejandro say, uh, have they they've brought in Toril now, haven't they? Yes, they have. Um, so basically, um, of course, Asnar did work with Real Madrid. Um, the just the the club and the the brand. Um, amongst other Spanish clubs, um, he had yeah he had a little bit of experience with Real Madrid before he took over the women's team but not that much. Whereas this new manager, um, Alberto Toril, he has a lot more real experience. You know, he played for the B team. I think he played for the first team, like maybe one or two appearances. <laughs> um, you know, since 2009, apart from, you know, a couple of years here and there, you know, he's been at Rail's youth team, the B team. So, Nancy, do you think that this appointment, somebody, because I know Alejandro always talks about, you know, the ethos of Real Madrid and what Real Madrid represents and how it is so important for people to understand the winning mentality of this club and what is expected. Do you think that this appointment of somebody who's got more Real Madrid experience um, in general will maybe work better? I think so, yeah. I think it's kind of that whole, like I was saying before, you know, it's that image of the club I think of the brand and yeah like being involved in all of that and, and the philosophy of it I think would definitely be really beneficial so I'm interested to see what happens because I think since it has become Real Madrid like the club I think it's you know they've been slightly disappointing I think when you consider how big the club is in, in football mm. so they definitely need to kind of ramp up now the performances and be, well, I imagine they want to be hitting the heights of like Barcelona and stuff, so it's it's high expectations. 
yeah, they've got a, a lot of uh, work to do. Um, and something that um, I was going to ask you, Drew, but Nancy, feel free to, to uh, give us your opinion as well as to what you thought about this, because we were talking, like I say, to Alejandro on the podcast last week, and we were talking about Luis Cortez, the former Barcelona manager, who is now actually coaching the national Ukraine women's team, which we all thought was, you know, a bit of a, 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 a mad jump. Um, <laughs> and Alejandro actually said that he thought that Cortes should have been considered for the Barcelona men's team managerial job rather than bringing in Xavi because he was saying that this is somebody that, you know, similar to Xavi, understands, again, the ethos of Barcelona and what is expected of Barcelona. But this is actually somebody who has managed to achieve success with the women's team. What Barcelona men's team kind of won, you know, Barcelona's women's women's team are doing it. And he said in his opinion, he said, you know, unfortunately he didn't really think Barcelona were ever going to actually do it but he said that it would have been nice to have seen that and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because it really got me thinking and I was like you know what imagine if something like that would have happened it would have been amazing yeah it really would have been a watershed moment um it it, it really really is a strange move him going to Ukraine um but yeah there's absolutely no reason why he wouldn't qualify for the for the, that's what, the top job in the men's game. That's what we were a saying. As a coach, like a tactician, is a tactician. It doesn't change based on, you know, gender. That's why I've never understood why, you know, there's this kind of disparity between men's managers and women's managers because that it, that's the same stuff, um, you know, at a base level. Um, it, it would have been very very interesting. I, it, when that watershed moment happens, it would be great for it to be such a historic club like that. Um, I feel like it's probably going to be what's the least historic club I can think of. Defending <laughs> MK Dons. I feel like it'll be MK Dons or someone like that. Oh um, well, I hate mail now. Yeah, I was going to say um, <laughs> you may need to just check your mail from any MK Dons fans now. I'll turn my DMs off. Yes. But yeah, I just thought that was that was quite an, an interesting uh, thing to uh, to consider. But um, yeah, quickly before we uh, we wrap things up, thought we'd just talk about um, Syria because there are two huge games. Um, first and second place teams, Juventus and Sassuolo, will face off. Nancy, what are your confidence levels for Sassuolo in this game? Because obviously, Juventus is Juventus. Um, and you know what? It gets so confusing when you're working in men's football and women's football because I automatically think Juventus are doing great because I'm thinking of the women's team and then I look at the men's team and I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. There's no correlation here whatsoever. But, the, you know, the, the the women's Juventus team, you know, are the women's Juventus team absolutely flying. But, you know, Sassuolo, they're, they're there. They're in second. What are your thoughts towards this one? I think it will be a really, really interesting game. I think... Uh, obviously Juventus are definitely favourites um, and then, like you said they've been flying but Sassuolo have yeah I think have been a bit, a little bit of a surprise package and they've done really well I think my only concern is they had that slip up against Roma obviously Roma are a strong team as well but I think that suggests that maybe it could happen again, happen again against Juve especially because Juve are such a strong team Um so, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting and I think almost Sassuolo have nothing to lose at all. So we'll probably go in with quite a lot of kind of fearlessness. But 
they're definitely the underdogs. I think Evo are definitely favourites to win. Yeah, they are. And for, for you, Drew, who do you see? I mean, there's so many different players for Juventus, especially that could be the star player. But, um, you know, from both teams, who do you see as being the, the standout player that you're maybe excited to see what they bring to the table in this game? Uh, for Juve, a player that's always excited me is, is Lena Hurtig. Um, an, an incredible talent on the ball, capable of, of pretty much anything. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to see her doing so well. Um, in, in Italy um, for Sassuolo I've only really started taking an interest in them in the last kind of year but they, they do have a Czech player called Dukova she is always chipping in with goals on, on the international scene as well so I think she is definitely like I'm not sure how old she is I don't know too much about her but her name is definitely cropping up yeah um, to me more often now um, so yeah they, they can definitely rely on her by the looks of it uh, but it's going to be an interesting game I mean with Sassuolo can pull something out of it then it, it completely changes the demographic of that whole league um, it, yeah, it, it does fixture. yeah I mean I am because I'm thinking um Sassuolo on 24 Juventus are on 27 points if they get this win it really could you know shake things up I feel like it's going to be a draw what are you guys thinking do you both on team Juventus that they'll get the win yeah I, I think for me yeah personally I am yeah, I'd like I'd like a surprise result. You know, that's what we that's what we all enjoy football for, unless it's our own team. But I think it probably be like three 0 or something like that. Yeah, but there's another big game taking place. If Juventus Sassuolo doesn't give you what you need, there is the Milan derby. Drew, you'd normally expect to see AC Milan win this one. Um, you know, but looking at, at form and what we've seen from Juventus, do you think there could be an upset, or is this one just going to be AC Milan's? Yeah, no upset for me. I, I think AC is still a dominant side. Yeah, it, it's great into a push in that top pack, um, but you know it's, it's AC Milan. In have lost, I think three so far this season. Mm. Um, AC have only lost one, and that that was a surprise. And they've got the greater goal difference, and you know I've got a massive soft spot for Christy Grimshaw as well. So I'm a little bit biased, but <laughs> AC all day for me. Nancy, what do you make of um, how Inter are doing this season? Because I know on the podcast we've spoken about them before and how, you know, kind of similar to what you said with with Real Madrid, you know, a name like Inter being, um, you know, having this women's team, they've not really hit the heights that I was expecting or wanting from them. How do you feel about them, you know, this season with the manager that they've got? I think it's uh, it's been quite hit and miss, it seems. Um they've yeah won six games but they lost three as well so it's not they've not really been able to hit kind of a run of uh, consistent form and yeah kind of finding themselves slipping behind you know like the top three in that in that league at the moment and yeah like we've said it's it's such a big team you expect them to be doing a bit higher so that said it is a very very tough league and you know I think you're looking now at it's kind of like the bigger names in Italian football, like Juve, Milan, Roma, Inter, are starting to kind of assert their dominance. But I, you know, I think Inter would want to be at the top of the, that pile as opposed to the bottom. And yeah, they haven't really been able to find the consistency that they need yet. Um, but it's still relatively early days, so yeah, we'll see how how it goes. Yes, uh, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, how they'll do, you know, this season and next season and, and see if they can, uh, you know, be, be up there with, uh, with 
you know, the likes of, of AC Milan and, and Juve, etc. Who were we saying winnings this one? Drew, you're going with AC Milan, I would guess. I think I'm going to join you on that one. Yeah, they've, they've got to do it, haven't they? I, 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 do you know what? I see it being kind of comfortable as well. So, mm. yeah, AC all day. Do you agree, Nancy? Yeah, I think for me, yeah. I think, uh, like I said, Inter's just been a bit too inconsistent this season. But there could, there could be an upset. You never know. You never know. That's there, the there thing. Because be, we've all agreed. We've been like, yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to yeah. be a one or something to Inter now. 100%. <laughs> no, knowing my luck, definitely. Um, but yeah, well, Nancy, best of luck uh, to you and Arsenal this weekend. Um but that is it for my final podcast hosted. Uh, thank you so much to both of you for joining me uh, for this last one. It's been great. It's been a pleasure yeah, to be on every show you. with you. Thank you for your, yeah. thank you for having us. No yeah. worries, no worries at all. And yes, to all of the the podcast listeners, thank you so much, um, you know, for being a part of this podcast. And long may it continue. As always, if you do want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you are heading to Spotify. Apple Music, etc., to hear more from One Football. <laughs>